Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. the launch of UK-wide cinema season, Film Feels Curious, taking place at the occasion of the Flatpak Film Festival's 17th edition. Gorgeous comedian and brummy chucklemonger Joe Lysette will be joined by DJ Sean Keaveney to chat about filmmaking, music, classic adverts and comedy. Screening across some of Joe's music videos and shorts, including the world premiere of his latest Birmingham short film, Ray, will be selections of films and clips that have inspired him over the years. This event is part of Film Feel Curious, a UK-wide cinema season supported by the National Lottery and BFI Film Audience Network. Check out the films and events near you on filmfeels.co.uk. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Leila Latif. I'm Adam Woodward. I'm Kitty Go. On the show this week, Michelle Yeoh is everything everywhere all at once. Gaspar Noe traps us in a devastating vortex of brains that decompose before hearts. And for Film Club, Marina Devan's In My Skin gets under our skin. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. So, welcome to you both to the new era of the podcast. Uh, Adam, it's great to see you. How's everything going on at Little White Lies Towers? It's very good, thanks. We are... um... I sort of says bang in the middle of the next issue mag cycle, which is fun. And we've sort of had a bit of a last minute change of heart and change of direction with the cover film, which is always, always interesting. But I think we're, yeah, it's going to, going to be a film which surprises maybe a lot of people. It's not a, a very obvious pick, but something that I think we, we, we're all very excited about. And, uh, yeah, that, that's sort of on, on, on the kind of, um, front burner right now, I suppose. And then there's all sorts of bits and bobs, um, you know, ticking over and, David and Hannah are off to Cannes on Monday. Um, so I'll be sort of holding the fort as per and uh, be getting, you know, massive FOMO from, from afar. But um, yeah, all, all, all good otherwise. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to block them on Instagram. It's going to be an unbearable couple of weeks to not be in Cannes. No doubt hearing about how David Cronenberg has done it again. <laughs> <laughs> and katie how are you it's uh, very nice to have you on the pod it's the first time we've ever kind of had a conversation i suppose yeah yeah thanks for having me it's um yeah i was on it when michael was you know holding down the fort but yeah it's really exciting to be on and to experience it with adam for the first time and lil for the first time well, I hope we don't uh, disappoint and uh, you know lower the lofty standards of my uh, of my predecessor um, but since it's been a while, um, why don't we do the all-important question of uh, who are you? Very existential for the morning. Um, I'm Katie Go. I am a film critic based in Edinburgh. I 
review films and write about culture for Little White Lies and The Guardian, The Independent, Vice, all sorts of places. And uh, well, you're being incredibly modest because you've also written a wonderful book called The End, which I actually read over the weekend. Um, do you want to tell us a little oh, bit wow. about that? I've been really enjoying it. <laughs> you've really done your homework. Um, yeah, I always forget that I wrote a book. Um, yeah, my book's called The End. It's about uh, fictional depictions of disasters and what that tells us about our own real life, political, social, environmental disasters. Um, so yeah, that's out with 404 Inc. Well, it was, um, I, I kind of assumed that it was going to be a very depressing read, but it was actually a lot more fun than I think maybe the description suggests. <laughs> well, speaking of books, we've um, there's also the Little, Little White Lies book coming out. Um, Hannah Strong's book, Sophia Coppola, Forever Young, is out in the US on the 17th of May and on the UK on the 27th. And it's uh, currently available for advanced order. The book will be launched tomorrow, Saturday the 14th of May at BFI South Bank, where Hannah will be presenting To Die For at 2.50 and um, Bling Ring at 6pm, followed by a free Sofia Coppola-themed after-party. And tickets are on sale now. Um, Adam, I imagine you've had to, you've managed to get a look at an advanced copy. Is there anything you can tell us about the book? I have, yeah. Well, I, I, I actually had the, the, the privilege of editing it as well, so I've really seen it come come to life from from the sort of very nebulous stage through to it coming back from the printers a few weeks ago and um yeah it's really uh it's i think hannah gave a, a shout out to our designer tertia nash before but it's it's really like raising the bar for the books that we've published i think and um you know has has very uh you know it's a, it's, a, it's a really kind of detailed and interesting look back at sophia's career and you know it's really really kind of perceptively written as you would expect from hannah um i'm very looking much looking forward to christening it in in real life on saturday at the bfi i think it's a it's a kind of free in open invite to the the party part of it in the evening and um i have it on yeah very good authority that there's going to be lots of cake so if anyone is around and fancies it then do do drop along that sounds wonderful um but i suppose we should get a move on and switch mediums from books to films and start with film one everything everywhere all at once Evelyn Wang runs a struggling laundromat with her husband, Waymond, and is being audited by the IRS when she discovers she must connect with parallel universe versions of herself to prevent a powerful being from destroying them all. So, Katie, we understand that not only is uh, this being led by um, one of the great movie stars of our era, Michelle Yeoh, but a close family friend of yours, Michelle Yeoh. <laughs> an exaggeration. I don't know if I if I would call her a close family friend, uh, at least anymore. But my dad went to the same school as Michelle Yeoh. They both grew up in Ipoh in Malaysia around the same time, so they were both in the same Bible class. So um, that's my claim of fame. I am one connection away from Michelle Yeoh, so I do consider her to be like an auntie or something. Um, but yeah, you know, what do you think it is about Michelle Yeoh that makes her such a kind of incredible cinematic figure? And do you think this film really like? takes advantage of her skills. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it's been quite interesting to follow her career because I sort of grew up watching a lot of her like Hong Kong films um, and she sort of became this huge movie star in East Asia. You know, she was in like, um, like Please Story 3 with Jackie Chan and she really became like a huge star in that where um, <laughs> apparently so that in the film she does this motorbike stunt I don't know if you've seen it um it's really incredible she like does all of her own stunt work and things and 
Jackie Chan went up to her and was like, what are you doing? You need to stop doing your own stunts because you're showing me up, basically. And that's why he did the <laughs> helicopter stunt, because Michelle Yeoh was, like, raising the bar too much. So I think that that sort of is a good sort of, like, anecdote about, like, how big she became in sort of East Asian cinema, especially the sort of, like, Hong Kong martial arts films and stunt movies. And then she sort of... um uh, with Tomorrow Never Dies, she became like more famous in the Western cinema. And I've been kind of disappointed generally with just like how she has been treated by Western cinema. She sort of has all these sort of supporting character roles and she's always very good in them. And she brings like a lot of heart and comedy to things like Crazy Rich Asians, which she plays like the tiger mom figure. And that sort of could become really cliche, but she kind of spins it in a way that, you know, she brings a lot of um, nuance to it through her performance. But She's sort of been left to become sort of like this mom or auntie or sort of supporting character figure. So this is really her being the main character and being the protagonist of um, the Daniels film. So I was just really excited to see what she would do in that role. And um, she did not disappoint. I really, I loved the film. I loved her performance in it. I think she brings um, a lot of her past as someone who can do her own stunts and she has this real authenticity when it comes to the action scenes, but she also is a great comedic actor and she has such an expressive face um, for like comedy and timing. And she manages to bring all of these aspects of her career to this role, which I thought was really exciting. Yeah, well, she is having to play so many different versions of herself. Um, I kind of felt that there was a really interesting existential terror in the fact that kind of as we meet her, as Evelyn Wang is with the struggling laundromat, we discover that she is essentially the worst version of herself, the most disappointing version of herself, which is truly like a terrifying concept to think that there are millions of versions of you and you are doing the worst out of all of them. <laughs> Uh, but Adam, what did you did you enjoy this? Did you kind of find this a more interesting multiverse than perhaps what the MCU is doing? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I'm a I'm a kind of multiverse fan in general, um, but it's it's an interesting uh, premise, and I do think it definitely, as Katie says, makes makes the most of kind of Michelle Yeoh, and she's certainly not not kind of wasted in this role, and it's it is really fun, you know, not only I guess getting to see her take center stage and do and give a quite a kind of serious dramatic performance as well but then with these kind of um multiple personas that she adopts um you know it, it gets quite meta at some points because there's a whole thread where she's playing a kind of like movie star version of her character which is obviously quite close to real life and then you have you know these other more bizarre parallel universes where people have hot dogs for fingers and um, I, th- I think that's that's the kind of aspect of the film that maybe didn't click as much with me. I mean, th- these are the, these are the guys, lest we forget, that made the kind of Daniel Radcliffe farting corpse movie a few years back. So, you know, definitely has that that level of humour is you know obviously what they're going for. I, I think it's that sort of like Deadpool free guy. You know, every, everything's very kind of like nod nod wink wink and uh, and quite quite crass at times as well but i think the the main kind of emotional through line of the film which michelle yo carries um and, and you know with the supporting cast especially playing her family is is really really strong so i think you know for all for all of the uh for all of the kind of baubles that are attached to this film with regards to the multiverse and the these kind of other you know split personas and everything i think at its center is a kind of really nice and and, and sort of well-told family drama 
Yeah, I was very um, happy to see the return of uh, Kei Hee Kwan um, to the world of cinema. I mean, we all kind of know him as a you know child star from the Goonies and you know, the Temple of Doom and stuff. And he'd essentially retired and then was, from what I understand, very inspired by the release of Crazy Rich Asians and kind of decided to give acting another go. Uh, I thought he was brilliant. Um, Katie, what did you kind of make of the kind of family relationships, not just with Waymond, I suppose, but, the, but there's a central thing of her relationship with her daughter? Yeah, um, that sort of is the through line of the film, like what you and Adam were saying, is sort of this family drama. So um, Evelyn has a very fraught relationship with her daughter, Joy, um, and in the multiverse, Joy is actually the like main antagonist who's threatening the entire, um, all of the universes, and um, Evelyn is sort of tasked with sort of taking down her daughter in a way um and yeah I agree I think that there's like I quite like the messiness of the multiverse um I'm not particularly interested in multiverses generally but I thought it was quite like I thought it was really fun and I think that it kind of um it what it sort of did was give the film a sort of like sense of just there's so much stuff and it's like there was so much going on all of the time um and I think that the Daniels were really um, they made this film and they wrote this film in 2016 and it was very, very much written sort of in the context of like, what was going on in politics and socially and the sense of life just being too much and politics being too much. And I think the multiverse functions in quite an interesting way and just sent that sense of there is too much stuff going on all the time. And I think that um, it, it what I sort of find the best comparison is sort of just like with that multiverse is sort of just like the internet like you can be different versions of yourself on the internet so oh that was interesting but yeah it is messy and weird and there's so many set design changes and costume changes and there's some really cool um like references and things like which i think are kind of like you know they're like quite crude but they are sort of fun like pixar and in the middle of love and all these sort of things but yeah at the center of all of that craziness um is this family story and i think that you know, it is like a story of uh, a mother and a daughter trying to figure each other out. Um, it's sort of about the the pressure that is put on a you know second generation immigrant. You know, the daughter of immigrants, Joy, sort of has this pressure because her parents have supported her and opened this laundromat, and she sort of Evelyn thinks that she's the worst version of herself because she never got the chances in life because she had to sacrifice a lot for her daughter. So Joy sort of has all of this pressure crystallizing on her um and her sort of um teenage angst and her sexuality because she's queer um sort of that's what sort of explodes out of her and sort of that sense and that emotional turmoil also is the multiverse in a sense as well and I think that that family drama and that sort of the nuance of how the Daniels portray that family is really the heart of the film I don't think it would work if there was any other actors in these roles because they really carry the film on their shoulders, I think. Yeah, I mean, I particularly was impressed by James Hong, who I'm amazed to say I found out is 93. I thought he was wonderful as the grandfather. Adam, he just got his um, star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Do you think that's well-earned? Oh, is that right? Yeah, I, I didn't know that. That's... Um... Yeah, and um, Jamie Lee Curtis gave it to, like, did the presentation for him. It did was, the presentation. It was very nice. I recommend looking yeah, at that Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, I will. I will see. I will seek that out. I think yes, certainly deserve it, deserving of it. And um, 
I mean, you know, I, I'm not sure who really kind of counts those accolades, but you know, it's it, it is a kind of prestigious thing, I suppose, and and definitely, I think for for a veteran actor of that of that ilk, it's it's you know, yeah, probably long long overdue. To be honest, if you said he's in his nineties, I mean, crikey. Um, yeah, I think as I think as well, just sort of following on from what what Katie was saying, I think if there is a sort of moral to this story, um, it's this idea of you know all the chaos that goes on and all the messiness that life brings and these this idea or this ideal that is kind of forced upon people often of trying to live your best life and the way people present different versions of themselves online as well. I think this is kind of trying to strip a lot of that away and actually say, you know, focus on the things that are really important in your life and, and you know, don't kind of like measure yourself or compare yourself against these other things. Um, so that that's the kind of message I took away from it anyway, which I think is one we can all get get behind. Um, but yeah, so I think it's one of those films. I think I, I, I kind of like what it's doing in the main. I think this it kind of falls short for me on like kind of, kind of quite specific things. And you know, as much as Michelle Yeoh is great, and I think the film uses her in a really interesting way, I, I'd sort of say le- less so Jamie Lee Curtis, which is I'd never think to say that normally that I'd like to see less of her. But the film, I think, overuses her potentially, and there's a very fun, there's a very fun scene with her, a kind of fight sequence near the beginning with with her, and then she kind of keep, keeps popping up and and is is a kind of recurring character throughout these multiverses that you hop in and out of, and I think yeah, that that kind of wore a little bit on me to be honest. Um, so I think these these are directors with like massive ambition. And I, and I absolutely want to see them succeed. And the film has already done like gangbusters in the States, which is great. Um, but I think they maybe, you know, could could do with being kind of reined in a little bit, not necessarily like creatively, but just, you know, sticking to the kind of what, what is the what is the like most important part of this story for you? And like, how do you tell that in a in a compelling way that itself doesn't just become quite unwieldy and messy? And I think this film sometimes does does kind of fall into that a little bit. Yeah, I felt that same way that you did about Jamie Lee Curtis as, as um, about the IRS officers. It felt that like in a film where we're going to be exploring kind of infinite number of universes to kind of keep returning to that set felt slightly, I don't know whether it was a budget constraint thing, but I, um, but it did make it feel a little bit smaller to me than, um, than really a story like this should feel. Um, but let's get some scores on this. Uh, Katie, do you want to go first? In anticipation, enjoyment, and in retrospect. I think that in anticipation of four, just because like Michelle Yeoh, what's not to love? Um, and also I like a lot of the Daniels um, work, especially some of their short films um, and their music videos. I think they've done really cool stuff with those. Um, so I was really excited about that. Uh, Enjoyment probably out of four. I think it drags too much in places. It's too long. Um, <laughs> I think what you're saying is true with like, The Office and Jimmy Lee Curtis. There's this real sense of like they got, you know, Jimmy Lee Curtis and they're like, right, we're going to have to milk this because we've paid so much money for Jimmy Lee Curtis. And um, also, yeah, budget constraints and things. But I generally had a great time with it. I think it's really fun. And in retrospect, I think a four as well. You know, I think that I'm sort of just still digesting this film and I think there'll be one I return to. I think that um what we were talking about earlier like the sort of the heart of the film in this sort of like swirling void that's going on um was really what um i has really stuck with me and sort of its portrayal of intergenerational trauma as well um has really stayed with me so i think that yeah i'm excited to return to it after maybe the hype dies down a little bit adam what about you yeah i mean 
Michelle Yeoh, I mean, as much as she's a legend, I think the last thing I'd seen her in was like Last Christmas, which, you know, the le- less said about the better, really. But I think so. I, so I, even though I like her generally, I wasn't necessarily convinced they were going to use her well. So I think probably a, a two in anticipation um, and then a three in enjoyment and probably the same in retrospect. I think it's got enough going for it that it merits certainly like a, a, a rewatch or two. And I'd, I'm really keen to see what the directors do next. I mean, you know, you hope that they are given um, off the back of this success a bit of uh, extra budget or, or kind of a bit more kind of creative free reign to go and do what they want and not just get roped into the kind of, you know, Marvel machine. But we'll, we'll see. I think they they uh, would do well to kind of avoid that for as long as possible. Oh, yeah, for me, probably five in anticipation because it came out in the States a little while ago and I've been kind of sitting online watching everybody absolutely rave about <laughs> how wonderful it was. Um, and then probably four in enjoyment. Um, uh, you know, I, it's kind of slightly irresistible to me to kind of watch Michelle Yeoh do these, her very kind of balletic style of uh, of, of acting. Um, and then, yeah, maybe low four, high three in, in retrospect. I loved the kind of existential questions that asked. Um, and I think particularly when you're looking at multiple generations in a family, you do often find yourself thinking about what does it all mean anyway? So yeah, it stayed with me. I, I, I have been thinking about it a lot since. So that was everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, if you've got thoughts on this, on this or any of the other films, you can email Truth in Movies at TCO London or tweet us at LW Lies. Up next, Vortex. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Gaspar Noe's latest revolves around the struggles of an elderly couple in declining health and their son who does his best in spite of significant personal problems. Adam, so... Asper Noe is someone who's associated with uh, New French Extremity, and this is quite the departure. Do you prefer this sort of sensitive, uh, you know, uh, looking at the end of life Gaspar Noe, or do you, are you more of an irresistible fan? 
Um, I, I'm not really so sure. I, I thought beforehand going into this off the back of his last couple of films, I kind of wanted to see him play it a bit more straight and uh, and do something like this. And now actually, now that he has done it, I'm I'm kind of like, oh, we should go back to making his like party freakout movies and just have a bit more fun with it. Because it is, I mean, this is like a really uh, quite miserable, miserable film. Um, although it's, you know, very even handed and, and I think very, you know, tender and sensitively told in many ways. Um, and, and there's, a, you know, a couple of his... Uh, you know, may, maybe kind of worse sensibilities do creep into this a little bit, but but on the whole, it's a really it's a really kind of character and performance driven film that where you feel, you know, the director's presence isn't kind of overbearing on it. Um, it does have this interesting kind of split screen aspect, which I think works in some sense, but not in maybe the way that No fully intends it to. Um, I kind of found it a little bit. Um, I, d- I don't know what, what kind of function it ultimately is, tr- is, is, is trying to serve because you, you've got this kind of dynamic of the two characters living in this um, Parisian apartment that's very cluttered and, you know, you're, you're kind of drawn to different parts of it as they walk through and they kind of cross their paths. And, um, but yeah, but ultimately I'm not sure it kind of really reveals anything more about the characters. It's this very staid kind of observational style that he adopts. And part of me just wanted to actually have a bit more of a focal point. You know, it feels like it's drifting a bit too much. And you're sort of this almost, you become this voyeuristic, like almost spectral figure yourself as the viewer, like watching them, um, you know, go through this this very kind of, this very oxygenless space that they inhabit and have, have presumably inhabited for many years because it's very cluttered, you know, um, there's you know the the guy is like an is is a is a is a is a writer who who we can we sort of assume has had a heart attack at some point or is in is in quite kind of ill health quite frail and his wife is is suffering from dementia um but yeah i think it's uh it's it, it's an interesting idea for a film i think as as films go that deal with this subject i think for me michael haneke's amour is the kind of like final word on this subject in terms of you know, on-screen portrayals, and uh, you know, Vortex doesn't quite reach that level for me. And I, and I think at the end, I say about Gaspar knows some of his kind of more 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 cheap and 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 kind of gaudy sensibilities creeping back in. I think the ending is a real kind of letdown for me. The, I think the the very like the finality of the ending is was a little bit too much. I think. Um, yeah, I think I like this a, a bit more than you, but um, I am with you on the ending. It was kind of Lord of the Rings uh, level ending of it seemed to almost end about 20 times in a row, which is some, you know, something that always grates on me. But what about you, Katie? Was this just kind of misery porn or did you think it was something a little bit more profound than that? I find it quite interesting. Um, I find his films, his films... I don't really know. Every time a new one comes out, I just really don't know what my reaction is going to be. I find him quite exhausting, to be honest, at this stage. Um, I think I enjoy Climax because it was a bit, you know, the craziness of it. But yeah, he's a bit hit and miss. Um, so whenever this was sort of touted about, I was interested in him having this sort of, he had this near-death experience and nearly died and has stopped doing drugs and apparently has even stopped putting salt in his food, which I was reading about earlier. Um, so he's very much like this film feels like he's sort of cleaned up his act in a way or something like that. I don't know. And I wasn't really sure what to expect from it because it did seem like quite a departure. 
to be honest, I find this like more horrifying than any of his other films, like this sort of clinical voyeuristic, just watching people as they sort of come to the end of their lives in this sort of dynamic of the carer and the carry and, you know, two people who have spent their lives together who now are just sort of waiting for death in a way. And I find that really just quite like uh, a hard thing to watch sometimes. I find it quite painful to watch. Um, in terms of the split screen thing, I think I get what he's trying to do. And I think that, yeah, it's like, you know, okay, it's quite clever in some ways that he's sort of pairing these two people who are because of their health and because of where they are in their life, they are sort of, they're together, but they're not together. It's sort of, they're like boxed into their own worlds and um, they're sort of living the sort of solitude lives, but together and they're very much in their own heads and we're watching them, you know, pass by each other, but never really be quite in the same frame together, um, which I thought was a really quite a cynical thing. I don't know. I, I feel like it was quite... Um, yeah, it made me kind of sad, actually. I don't know. I find it, I find it quite, um, that sort of separating both of them out quite, yeah, I find it quite cynical. I don't know. I've, it, I watched it and I, it just made me kind of sad. And it's like, it's over two hours long. You know, it is quite a lot to endure that sort of split screen thing. And I find my eyes just sort of like darting around and I, I find it quite hard to connect to what was happening, actually. I had a quite that, the the intro that you gave Layla at the top of this show, and you said about the brains decomposing before heart. Is that is that a quote from the synopsis or from the? No, it comes up um, in the sort of uh, first minute or so. Like this That's film right. is dedicated to people whose brains decompose before their hearts, which is yeah, just a horrible yeah. phrase. <laughs> I mean that's a, that's obviously like a very poetic idea, but it's, but then you know throughout this film, without wanting to give too much away, there's there's kind of revelations of sort of infidelity, and you do sort of start to question actually how how much you know re- love there still is there between these two characters. It feels there's there's you know it's to me it felt like there's not it's not just the the, the brains that are decomposing or the kind of physical um, you know heart that's decomposing, but. I, I don't know. It, it, it's 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 no, I think, in his kind of most morose and existential state. And I guess, you know, as Katie said, he had this health scare and I think he had a brain hemorrhage, which he's now thankfully recovered from. And and so kind of wrote this in, in that in that state of mind. And you can kind of understand or I think watching it with that context certainly um, helps to kind of bring a few things into into focus. But um yeah, it's uh, it, it's a film where I think his his kind of worst tendencies get the better of him in the end. And there's a really bizarre kind of cameo from a, from a character playing their son who feels like he's wandered in from a totally different Gaspar Noé film. Um, and I, I really didn't kind of like that that character in those scenes. I, I, I kind of read him as a bit of a proxy for Noé in, in, in some ways, but certainly with the kind of drug, drug habit and everything, but... Yeah, it's a um, bit, bit of a mixed bag, this one. Yeah, um, I actually do know, because I went to the BFI to watch um, the Gaspar do a little introduction to this, um, that um, Dario Argento, when he agreed to kind of take this lead role, um, assumed that he was signing up to do a horror film. Um, and mm. then when he discovered he was playing a kind of old man, he was absolutely horrified because he considers himself to be very young and vibrant and would only do it on the condition that he got a mistress to kind of show that there was kind of still life with the old dog yet. So perhaps what you're not responding to is Argento rather than that's that's fair. That's fair. That's very that's very Argento. That, to be fair, yeah, I I I, I forgive Noah for that. Then 
Well, let's get some scores on this um, and then try and think of more pleasant things. Although actually Film Club is pretty unpleasant as well, so <laughs> perhaps not. Adam, in anticipation, enjoyment and in retrospect. Oh God, I mean, I didn't, to be fair, I didn't really know much about it going into it. So I'd say a three. Um, I think probably enjoyment is the wrong wrong word. Um, God, I've I've actually reviewed this on, for for us, and it's, so if anyone wants to kind of read any further thoughts, it is on the website. And I, I'm going to probably get my own scores wrong here, but I think I think I probably went three and then two in retrospect. Um, certainly not a film I would I would kind of rush to see again, but you know can admire certainly you know if not the kind of formal techniques that he's employing, I think as a kind of um, as, as a sort of idea the premise of it is is, is quite interesting and i think yes you know, as, as i say michael hannock has done it better before even florian zeller's the father which came out the year before last was it was i think doing something a bit more interesting within this this area but uh but yeah for, for noe i think it's like par for the course really oh, well i think it's no um it's not a kind of damning indictment to say that you'll never watch this again because i would rather kind of uh do anything than watch Amore again <laughs> and I wish that I could go back to my memory and erase it oh same with Amore I don't want to watch that again either but Katie what about you I would say a four in anticipation just because I mean yeah and you know a film it's just sort of like I'm just always intrigued even though I said earlier you know he is quite exhausting I'm, I'm intrigued to see sort of my reaction to his work um because I find it very hit and miss um I was interested about you know more in terms of like the context of the film like him going through this health scare what it would look like so I was intrigued by that um enjoyment uh a three I think I was sort of interested by the split screen it got kind of old fast but um I was just yeah it kind of kept my interest for long enough and in retrospect yeah too I mean it's just like a pit of nihilism and I don't really want to yeah return to it and um yeah I I hope it's not sort of a sense of where his career is going. Um, I just find it extremely hard to connect with it. I find it, yeah, very um, nihilistic and, and um, painful to watch and think about. Uh, well, um, I'm going to be the lone Gasper defender in that case, where I was probably a four in anticipation. Um, I generally have quite enjoyed a few of his films, and I was interested to see this kind of soft side of him. Uh, three in enjoyment. It, it, it's a bit of a slog at times, I've got to say, but um, I think for in retrospect, I think a lot of it did like stay with me and it's like difficult as a lot of the ideas it explores and how horrifying the idea of end of life looking like this is. I think it does, you know, it, it's not based on nothing and I, and I did feel his personal connection to it, I think both with his near-death experience and also... I believe his, you know, in his family, they've lost some people in a similar mm. way. So yeah, four. So if you had a, any thoughts on Vortex or any of the other films, email Truth and Movies at TCO London or tweet us at LW Lies. Up next, in my skin. Two thousand and two's in my skin follows the downward mental spiral of Esther, a woman who seemingly has it all but engages in increasingly destructive acts of self-mutilation following an accident that injures her leg at a party. So, Katie, speaking of films that are hard to watch, <laughs> I mean, I did. I found. I, I, I think I'm normally someone that doesn't struggle with films, but I found this incredibly difficult to. Uh, I kept muting it, kept covering my eyes. How, how was your experience watching it? I think quite similar. I would consider myself to be someone who is reasonably hardy when it comes to, especially body horror stuff. Um, but yeah, this was really difficult because it is just 
oh god it's just like so horrible um but yeah it's I I'd heard about this film I hadn't watched it so this was my first time coming to it and um yeah I'd heard a lot about it though and sort of it, it coming out of this like you know new French extremity and like body horror um sort of genre cinema um but I hadn't come across it yet and yeah it's, so it's like this woman who is engaging in these very destructive acts of self-mutilation that sort of escalates and becomes um more and more um like dangerous I suppose as the film goes on and yeah it's it's interesting it's sort of this woman who is becoming very disconnected to her own body and very disconnected to um so there's sort of like an external world around her um and so she sort of like starts to like poke and prod at herself and I mean it's quite an obvious sort of like look at body dysmorphia disorder or like anorexia or any of these sort of things where you 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 know you feel completely disconnected to your own body and it is quite harrowing in that sense that she sort of becomes more and more obsessive about um cutting her her own flesh and sort of you know attacking herself in that sense just this sort of like very desperate attempt to sort of feel any sort of connection and sort of feel any anything to do with her body and I think that you know it's it's quite interesting that it came out in 2002 coming out of the 90s and coming out of like a very um interesting time in history in terms of like corporate culture and um coming into the 2000s um and the main character Esther sort of works for this marketing company is meant to sort of have it all and you know her job is basically to um manipulate I suppose people into buying things or to to like you know using their desires and their feelings to to sell them things and I think that it's looking at that sort of idea in quite an interesting way through the sort of body horror genre. Yeah, I um, discovered when I was uh, doing some reading around this that this whole genre that this is supposedly part of New French Extremity, that was considered like an insulting pejorative term about like artless films that just have like shock value. Uh, Adam, for you, did this film have more to say than just being incredibly gross? Yeah, I mean, you know, within that sort of genre which emerged you know, as as Kate says, at the end of the '90s, start of the noughties, you have you have kind of filmmakers like Claire Denis with Trouble Every Day and Catherine Breyer and others, mate and Gaspar Noé, making these kinds of films. And and uh, you know, I think a lot of them were 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 kind of you know tarred with the same brush when they when they were first released. And now that a lot of them are seen as as kind of modern classics. And I think this one certainly deserves to be to be kind of in that conversation as well. Um, you know, it's a film which I don't think necessarily offers any easy answers. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's fairly open to interpretation in terms of, you know, I guess what the subtext is, what the kind of wider ideas are that the, the director, um, Marina Devan is tapping into. I mean, she gives an amazing performance in the lead role as well as Esther. Um, it's, it's, let's say committed. Um, and there's also just some like really great practical effects and some really great kind of technical prowess on, on display here. I mean, there's a scene, probably the most, I would say maybe the most difficult scene to watch is, um, uh, a, a scene kind of midway through the film when she's, she's at dinner, um, in, in a kind of restaurant and, uh, and, and begins, you know, there's, there's a bit of an, there's a bit of ambiguity over whether this is kind of happening more in her mind than you know in in the kind of real world but she basically starts kind of digging at her arm with a with a kind of steak knife under the table and you know all the while through this scene 
you're kind of cutting between what's going on under the table with this more serene conversation happening above it and her face and you know the the, the sound design is amazing the, the the kind of background chatter and cutlery and is, is is kind of slowly ramped up throughout the scene so by the end of it you're just without necessarily realizing it you're just really really tense i mean i had to kind of like do a big breath afterwards um and it's uh, so it's really i think as a kind of you know technical exercise as, as as well it's a really impressive film um you know some really great practical effects if you're into that kind of gory stuff and if you have got a strong stomach i'd say you you definitely get something out of this um and yeah the the director i think you know hasn't really gone on to kind of i'd say bigger and better things necessarily she kind of made a handful of films afterwards and i think has actually got a film coming out this year or certainly in, in production um which is co-directed um with um which, which i believe stars um desperate housewives Marsha cross so we'll look out for that but you know looking back at this this is a kind of like calling card film really it's i mean i'd say it's up there with those films we kind of talked about earlier like trouble every day and maybe even irreversible um, there's a really great feature in, I think it's the Titan issue we did a few months back with, um, which David Jenkins basically kind of tries, attempts to track down, um, Marina, the director. Um, and that's quite, quite an interesting, interesting story. And I think something like Titan, you can kind of see the influence on that from, from kind of this film, certainly with regards to, um, not just the, the body horror angle, but looking at, I guess, violence towards women, whether it's kind of self, uh, kind of self-inflicted and more masochistic um or whether you take that as a kind of metaphor or allegory for uh, i guess like societal violence but yeah it, it's certainly it's certainly a film which i think has res or clearly resonated you know 20 or so years on from when it was released katie is that um you talked about this being very much of the time that it was made but do you think there are elements of it that are still like adam said resonating today yeah absolutely i think so i mean I think that, yeah, well, I'm saying what the performance as well was really fascinating. And, um, yeah, Devana sort of has this very, like, vampire-y look about her. And she sort of, you know, obviously there's, like, a lot of um, blood and a lot of vampire stuff going on. So it's a very intense performance. And, yeah, I think that, yeah, the the, the idea of, like, self-mutilation and even, you know, if it's maybe not as extreme as how it's depicted in the film that idea is very relevant I think and sort of feeling like a loss of control as well over your own your own body in a world where you're sort of subjected to a lot of external forces you know what is a body in these sort of different competing forces you know how do you sort of um how do you sort of interact in a world where you're being um yeah as living through sort of like violence on different scales you know through sort of like the idea of like the marketing angle um and being sold different things about your own body but then also you know your own sort of internal feelings about how you're yeah you if you feel quite like divorced from your body in the world around you um and yeah i think it is it is interesting and sort of thinking about it with the other two films as well they all sort of have a lot to do with um the external and the internal sort of competing with each other and um, how do these sort of things reconcile and sort of split between almost body and mind, which is quite fascinating. And I think that, yeah, I 
I really, I don't know if I would say I enjoyed watching this film just because it is such a tough watch, but I find so many of the ideas of it really exciting um, and really relevant. And you can sort of see a lot of filmmakers working today probably watch this and have been very inspired by it. So I think it's a shame that's not more well known. Um, and I think it's worth mentioning that I found the central relationship between, um, between with her boyfriend really interesting. The idea that she's kind of making, you know, there's such a strong feeling that like women are kind of trying to present themselves in a way that make them as appealing as possible to the men in their lives. So the idea of a woman making herself like essentially increasingly grotesque um, that was kind of moving but also like quite subversive for especially mm. given that like this is someone that is supposed to be selling attractiveness um, and yeah for me it's never better than it is in the set in the scene that um, Adam talked about earlier in the cafe where there's this great dialogue all about um, selling things to the Japanese versus selling things to the French kind of with this you know and then she's hallucinating her arm falling off and she's carving at it in this very difficult way um yeah i mean even if new french extremity is technically an insult i think this is one of its finer entries i think as well just to bring it back around to old gaspar um this film has an amazing amazing ending and it and it kind of you know leaves you really reflecting on what you've just watched in in you know quite a kind of provocative way um but the crucial thing and the reason i mentioned gaspar and the ending of of vortex is that i think what he does there for me anyway felt kind of quite detached and quite dispassionate and i think with this even though you're watching something quite uncomfortable and you're almost forced you know the camera is really kind of locked onto it um for me there's a real there's a real kind of empathy that that marina the director finds with with the character ultimately um and yeah, there's a real kind of like tragedy to it. And I suppose in Vortex, it's more, it's much more kind of, you know, clinical and matter of fact in the way that you see this demise kind of unfold. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it does feel that perhaps in like directing herself, she was able to pull out something incredibly vulnerable in, in Esther that, yeah, beyond the sort of grotesque, just the horribleness of seeing someone hack at their own legs. I think mm. that is just as, as striking. <laughs> So if you have any thoughts on these films, um, you can email truthandmovies at TCO London or tweet us at LWLies. Thanks very much, Adam and Katie. And uh, next week, David Jenkins, Hannah Strong and Sophie Monks-Kaufman will be reporting directly from the Cannes Film Festival, telling us about all the latest films premiering from the Quasette, as well as the new releases Benediction and Our Heads Knee. Thanks very much for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Truth and Movies is hosted by me, Leila Latif, and my guests this week were Katie Goh and Adam Woodward. The podcast is produced by TCO London and edited by Jake Cunningham. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack 
for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.